I, well, I'm 62, so I grew up singing only hymns. And on PEI, sometimes, actually, there are going to be Islanders watching this. I better be careful what I say. But the songs tended to be drug out, and you would almost take a breath between some of the phrases. So it's really refreshing when someone like Carlos, who never grew up in the church, never grew up singing hymns, he played them the way they're written, and you boom right along. There's an old prayer that used to circulate years ago, and the prayer went, Lord, I've done pretty well today. I've not said a bad word. I've not spoken harshly to my wife. I've not been uh, losing my temper with my employees. I've not looked at any woman in the wrong way. But I'm just about to get out of bed, and I'm going to need your help with the rest of the day. And that's how we feel, isn't it? Do you ever start off the day determined, this is going to be the day when I don't mess up. This is going to be the day when I don't sin. I'm not going to lose my patience. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to complain. And I'm not going to lose self-control. But before lunchtime, we've already failed. And we wondered, like, why did we even try in the first place? Back uh, seven years ago, I had surgery for colorectal cancer. And I ended up with a temporary ileostomy for a year. And I actually lost a lot of weight during my surgery. And I was eating and eating and trying to gain that back. And when my ileostomy was reversed, all of a sudden the weight started coming back on. And before I knew it, I was 25 pounds overweight. So I had heard about Weight Watchers, and I just went online and checked out their program. I found one of their little calculators, and, and based on my weight, I had 28 points for the day. You know, anything beyond that, and I would have trouble losing that weight. So I had my normal breakfast, the cereal was eight points, my toast was five points, the butter was one, the jam was three, my orange juice was five, and then I had a snack that was 10 points. And before I got to lunch, I had used up all my points. So that's sometimes the way we feel in regards to our day with God. We start off, we want it to be a perfect day, but we end up suffering the consequences of our bad choices. So it's hard to live by the Spirit when the flesh is so appealing. Now, we've been looking at the book of Romans, the eighth chapter, because this is a powerful chapter, and it covers the central themes of life and Christianity. And Paul talks about competing forces that are taking place in our lives. And last week, James talked about the fact that there is grace, but there is also the fact that we are battling guilt in our lives. And this week, the Apostle Paul is going to teach us about two other options. And those are, you can live in the spirit or you can live in the flesh. But you choose. And life isn't easy once we belong to Christ. In fact, in some ways, it gets harder because there's this pressure that we face in the world knowing that real life isn't in this world, but in the next life. And that's what makes it so difficult. So we still live in the flesh with our bodies chasing after the pleasures of sin, 
but we know that we're being guided by the Holy Spirit who has different desires altogether. So God's people struggle against the desires of the flesh, but when we live in the Spirit, we experience an incredible transformation, an incredible freedom. So we're going to work our way through verses 5 to 17 here this morning, and we're going to see Paul helping explain for us some evidences of those who are living by the Spirit. And the first evidence is actually the fact that your mindset changes. So we're beginning in verse 5. Those who live following their sinful selves think only about things that their sinful selves want. But those who live following the Spirit are thinking about the things the Spirit wants them to do. If people's thinking is controlled by the sinful self, there is death. But if their thinking is controlled by the Spirit, there is life and peace. So think only about the things that their sinful selves want. So what is it that preoccupies your mind? If I was to ask you, what do you think about most during the day? Like what pops into your mind? Because the mind is very powerful, either in the hands of the devil or in the hands of the spirit. So we need to choose wisely. In the technology world, they say garbage in, garbage out. And we know that's true. And the same is true regarding what we put into our minds. And throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're warned about what we're to dwell on, what we're to think about. Solomon said, as a man thinks, so in his heart is he. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, think only about the things in heaven, not the things on earth. Your old sinful self has died, and your new life is kept with Christ in God. So if you struggle with different thought areas in your life, here's some good advice. Run it through this filter in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Brothers and sisters, think about the things that are good and worthy of praise. Think about the things that are true and honorable and right and pure and beautiful and respected. But you say, wait now, Greg, you don't know my situation. You don't know how my coworkers talk. You don't know what my roommate watches. And then that glimpses of that, images of that keep popping into my mind throughout the day. Just remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10. He said, we capture every thought and we make it give up and obey Christ. I like that translation. We capture that thought and we make it give up and obey Christ. So every day we struggle. It's almost like there's this spiritual tug of war that's going on. And we're trying to move in the direction of obedience. And our ultimate goal isn't to be happy, it's to be righteous. It's to grow in Christ's likeness. And when we're doing that, we're striving to be obedient to what his word teaches. There's a second evidence here. And that is the fact that your desires change. We're picking up in verse 7. When people's thinking is controlled by the sinful self, they are against God because they refuse to obey God's law and really are not even able to obey God's law. Those people who are ruled by their sinful selves cannot please God. So Paul's saying that when we come to Christ, there's this power that enables us to overcome sin. It's a power that we don't often tap into. We don't use it as a resource too many times in our lives. 
But God wants you to desire it, and he wants your decisions to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So when you choose him to be the Lord of your life, it wasn't just for him to be a resident in your life, it was for him to be the president of your life. Now the people in the first service got a rap out of that, but I'm not going to give that to you here again. But we don't want him to just be a resident, do we? We want him to take over. We want him to be in charge. And he says, okay, here are the instructions. Here's the direction that I want you to move in. And that's what the Spirit conveys to us. But in the flesh, we want what we want, and we want it when we want it. And I don't know about you, but that's the way I am. When I'm not walking in the Spirit, I see something, I see a person, it might be a possession, it might be a pleasure, and my first instinct is, I want that, and I want it now. And that's so wrong, because God wants us to put a governor over that. And you may not know what a governor is, but a governor is something to restrict. Now, my father sold his 1965 Chrysler New Yorker. This was a huge car, a powerful car, but he sold it to Alan Sentner. Alan Sentner lived in our community. He drove this truck that he, he was never driving fast. He was always driving slowly around the neighborhood. So dad thought, this is a good young guy to give the truck to. But we didn't realize there was a governor on that truck that kept it from going over 80 kilometers per hour. And he got dad's big Chrysler and he started drinking and he drove through the main intersection in that community at 90 miles an hour and he took off the front end of a car he survived it somehow but that governor is what was controlling him all along and we didn't realize it so we need to put a governor on our lives as well we need to regulate everything by being obedient to what God wants in our lives. It's not what we want, it's what he wants, because he knows what's best for our lives. See, we desire what we want, and we want instant gratification. In the flesh, we desire the approval of others more than we do the approval of God. And if you're a people pleaser, one of the things that you battle against is thinking, what are they going to think of me? I wonder if I should tell them that I went to church on Sunday. I wonder if I should tell them that I read the Bible because they might think I'm crazy. But here's the question. Are you more concerned about approval from other people than you are the approval of God? What voice are you listening to? The God wants us concerned about the long-term perspective rather than the temporary earthly viewpoint. And so our decisions are made not for today, but they are made for eternity. But years ago, a man had just received his income tax receipt for his giving here at HCC. And he said, I wish I had done better. Now I had talked to the man some over the years and I knew what he meant. He wished that he had given more so that he would get a bigger tax receipt. Now, I understand that we should take advantage of any break that the government gives, but my wife Pat and I decided to give an extra $500 at Christmas time, some to the church, some to a Bible college, some to a mission, and then I got the bright idea. If we up that to $1,000, i am going to get 500 of that back with my income tax, 
So we gave to more missions. So it's an attempt to improve our managing of what God has entrusted to us. It's a golden opportunity because it allows us to give more to God, more to missions, more to other charities. But what if in five to ten years' time, our government decides that they will no longer give that tax break? What is our decision and our response going to be then? Fortunately, I'll likely be retired at that time, so I won't have to worry about the church trying to find extra money if that happened. But how would we respond? If our desires are just for this life, then it would greatly affect our generosity. But if our desire is for the next life, then our generosity will continue to flow. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, but store yourselves treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Your heart will be where your treasure is. Now, people say you can't take it with you when you die, and that's correct. But you can do something else. You can actually send it on ahead of you. You can store up heavenly treasures by blessing other people. And that is true with serving others. It's true with praying for others. It's true in fasting for others and sharing Christ with others. And when we live with all our hope in this world, we just desire things that please the flesh. But when we live with our hope in the kingdom of God, we start to desire different things. And rather than our own comfort, it's the comfort of others that we're concerned about. Rather than our sinful desires and pleasures, we desire purity and holiness. It takes time, but the Spirit brings about that transformation. And there's another evidence of when you're beginning to walk in the Spirit. And that is your perspective changes. And it really does. So we're now in the 8th verse, excuse me, verse 9. You, however are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Notice how at the beginning of that verse, he says, you, however. So he's referring back to those people where he's drawing a distinction between the ones who were walking in the flesh and living by their fleshly desires. But now he says, but for you who are true Christians, you are following Jesus completely. You're going to walk in the Spirit, and you're different from those others that I talked about. So that means that we basically take the reins of our life and we hand them over to Jesus to let him control us. And yes, it's a daily battle. That's why we read in the Scriptures, give us this day our daily bread. By the same token, we're asking God to help us out because the Spirit-filled life isn't something that you naturally do each day. Every day when you get up, you need to make the decision, I am going to put Jesus on the throne of my life. I'm going to allow him to call the shots. And many of you have gone through this change, this metamorphosis. And, and that's why I love talking to new believers some of you may not be aware of this, but a big part of a pastor's job is accepting complaints. But a highlight for me is 
studying with new believers and it's seeing the transformation that takes place in their lives and, and watching that transformation. It's incredible. In verse 10, he goes on to say, your body will always be dead because of sin. But if Christ is in you, then the spirit gives you life because Christ made you right with God. God raised Jesus from the dead and if God's spirit is living in you, he will also give life to your bodies that die. God is the one who raised Christ from the dead and he will give life through his spirit that lives in you. That's a really important passage and I want you to be certain to understand it because there are people who say that heaven is just wishful thinking. It's something that Christians have just dreamt up to make them feel good or give them strength or encouragement to get through a bad situation in their lives. And they say, you go ahead, you believe whatever you do, you, you believe that after you die, you're, you're going to heaven, that's fine. But if Christ is in you, which he is because you are a Christian, and if God's spirit is living in you, notice that the spirit is not an it. it. He is a person. And that same spirit that gave life to the body of Jesus is the one that takes up residency in your heart when you become a Christ follower. And if we rely on that power, it can help us overcome temptation. So we live every day and, and make it count. And I don't know how long you're going to have here on this earth. I don't know if you're my age, we'll have till 75. If you're a teenager, I don't know if you'll have till you're 25. A friend of mine died just recently at the age of 65, and it just comes so quickly. We have no idea, but I know this. You need to make the most of every opportunity, whether you have a short amount of time or a long amount of time, it doesn't matter as long as you make the most of that opportunity and you live with eternity in mind. My Uncle Myron is almost 91 years of age and he lives by himself in a house in the Cavendish Resort area. So it's pretty lonely there in the wintertime, but he toughs it out. But in the summer, he has three buddies that he golfs with and they're all actually older than he is. And they used to walk the golf course and then they moved to walking nine holes and renting a power cart for the other nine. Now it's all power cart all the time, which is fine. They're, they're in their 90s. But I golfed with them once and it's just a hoot to listen to them. Like one guy said, oh, my arms are getting so weak I can barely lift my golf bag up onto the cart. I'm going to have to get the young guys at the pro shop to help me. And then another guy says, well, my cataracts are getting so bad, you guys are going to have to watch my golf ball because I can't see it when I hit it off into the distance. And then another guy says, oh, my arthritis in my neck is killing me. He said, I can't turn properly to swing like I should be able to. And then they had forgotten to mark the score from the previous hole. And they asked one guy, what did you get? I can't remember what I got back there. And then after the round was over, they all said, great to be golfing with you, buddy. See you on Wednesday. And they all got into their own cars and drove away. But it's amazing. You can still drive, but all those other issues that they're facing. But it's awesome that they were out there. We need to make the most of every opportunity. 
And Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9.12, people can never predict when hard times might come. So if our hope, our dreams, our security, our happiness are found in this life, then you can expect to only live for the length of this life. But if your hopes and your dreams are placed in eternity, then it's going to be a different story altogether. This isn't going to be the end when your life does end here on this earth. So a doctor's diagnosis or death itself doesn't frighten you. Fear of death doesn't stop you from doing what God wants because you've already beaten death. What is there to be afraid of? One guy said this. He said, for the Christian, death is not the end. Death is merely a comma. It's not the period at the end of the sentence of life. So your perspective has changed. And there's another sign, and that is the fact that your purpose changes. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. So we are the people of the Spirit, and we're obligated to live according to the Spirit, not to live according to that old nature. But God enables you to change through the power of that Spirit. And I like that phrase where he says, you have an obligation. That phrase can be translated, we are in debt. And you know what it likes to feel in debt. You don't pick up the phone because you recognize that it's the phone number of the superintendent of your building. Or you get this bill and it says past due on it. Or you go to make a, a transaction to buy something and your credit card is denied. And you know how little you have in your bank account. There's always something to remind you. But Paul switches the analogy to fit our situation in life. And he says, we are obligated to live for Christ in response to everything that he has done for us. So we love others because he loved us. We forgive others because he has forgiven us. We strive for unity because he asks us to make every effort to live at peace with one another. And we live by the Spirit because we came to Christ and we died to that old way of life. Verse 13 says, if you use your lives to do the wrong things your sinful selves want, you will die spiritually. But if you use the Spirit's help to stop doing the wrong things you do with your body, you will have true life. So our purpose in this life is to take as many people as we possibly can with us into eternity. And how do we do that? We do it by maximizing every moment that we have. So how can our purpose be driven by the needs of others rather than our wants? How can we begin to look for those who need Jesus and reach out to them? Just as Jesus said in Matthew 28, we have a mission, and that is to go into the world. And I'm proud of how missions-minded our church is here. Uh, we encourage people to give to missions. We encourage them to actually get involved in serving as well, locally and nationally and internationally. We encourage people to get beyond the walls of the church in order to do that. And I want you to know that every dollar you give to this church, 17.5 cents of that goes to missions or it goes to uh, compassion 
or to some type of outreach beyond our church. So it's not to salaries or it's not to programs that we run in the church. So we've been blessed. So we are going to bless others. And that is because our job is to actually share the message with other people who don't know Christ. So we support the local food bank. We support a Bible college, a, a church camp. We support a church plant over in Newfoundland. We support uh, ministries in Haiti and Graceland Ministries in Krakow, Poland. David and Norma Morris in Thailand. Norm and Jill Weatherhead in Papua New Guinea. And people from our church have gone on short-term mission trips. They've gone to Haiti and to Poland and to Turkey and Central America and Ukraine and Jamaica. And one time I was attending a leadership seminar and they said you should preach your announcements. Put your announcements in your sermons so that people will really listen to them. So we are actually going to have visits from three of those missionaries over the next couple of weeks. They've not been able to be here for the last two years. So on June 5th, Jay Boyer and Colette Layden of Graceland Ministries will be here. They'll share briefly at each service, but after the 11 o'clock service, we'll be going downstairs from refreshments and they'll have a chance to share more about their ministry. And then the following Sunday on the 12th of June, Rick Scruggs, who is president of Lifeline Ministries, which we support in Haiti, will be here, same program. And then on July 31st, Norm and Jill Weatherhead of, from Papua New Guinea will be here doing the same thing. But we really want you to realize that not only do we support those missions all around the world, but you have a mission field that is right where you are. So it's in the cubicle that you sit beside Monday to Friday. It might even be the table that you sit around. It could be somebody in your family that you eat with every day. It could be different places. It might be the coffee shop that you frequent. But when you walk in the spirit, your purpose changes and we begin to see things and we notice things and we notice where we can intervene to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and we begin to get out of our own little world and point people to Jesus Christ. And here's the final thing that we see in this passage. Your identity changes. So look at verses 14 and 15 and this is really important. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit who you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Other than Jesus, nowhere else in Scripture do we read of anyone referring to God as Father, excuse me, as Daddy, because that word Abba, that's what it literally means. It's not sir, it's not father, it's not even dad, but it means daddy. So do you understand what God is trying to convey to us? He's saying, yes, there's a respect for the authority of God, but there's also an intimacy there because we can approach him just like our own fathers. And like my kids say, it's so cool, this descriptive term, because it's basically saying we have been adopted. But get this, in Romans 8, Paul's saying it's not Jesus who 
gets to refer to God as Abba, but he says now every Christian, everyone who has put their trust in Jesus Christ can refer to him as Abba. That's how close a relationship he wants to have with you. We are his sons and his daughters. Now maybe you say, Oh, come on, Greg, if you only knew of the dysfunction in my home, if you knew what it was like, the heartache that I have in dealing with my mom, or if you only knew what it was like, I'm so distant from my dad. But God the Father says, I'll be your Abba. And note this, whenever you're going through a rough time, there's someone who loves you, someone who cares for you. And when we become a Christian, our sins are totally wiped out. That doesn't mean that there aren't some consequences. There are always consequences for our sin. But from a heavenly perspective, God just wipes everything clean and he says, you are my son, you are my daughter. So the last two verses, and the spirit himself joins with our spirits to say we are God's children. If we are God's children, we will receive blessings from God together with Christ, but we must suffer as Christ suffered so that we will have glory as Christ has glory. So you are an heir. You've got an inheritance, and it's not from a father like me. It's from the father of the universe, and you are his child, and you can be adopted by him. But there's something important that you need to understand you can only become his child by choice. It's not a blanket thing whereby everybody in the world is saved because of Jesus' sacrifice. But you have to make a decision to become his child. You have to hand your life over to him. You allow him to make something of your life. And you say, I can't do this on my own. I can't do a very good job. I need him in my life. And when you're adopted into his family, you admit your frailties, you admit your weaknesses, you admit on a daily basis, I'm tempted to live by the flesh. But now instead you say, Lord, help me to die to the flesh, help me to live to the spirit. And when that happens, God welcomes you into his family and we are adopted as sons and daughters and we live a very different life. You are faced with a decision today if you've never turned your life over to Jesus Christ, this could be that day. This could be your moment. So you've got to have the confidence and the faith to step out and say, okay, Lord, I'm giving my life to you. I'm trusting you. I'm turning it all over to you.